Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Friday, April 16th, and we're checking in on a few recent IPOs to see how they've done. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined by Fool.com's rabble-rousing reviewer of recent risky riches, Brian Feroldi. Brian, how you doing? Dylan, I'm doing great, even though I have a meeting with my accountant yesterday to talk about a letter that I got from the IRS this week. So besides uh, from that, I'm doing great. How you doing? You know, I don't want to put your, your personal finances on blast, Brian, but I could see how that wouldn't be a very uplifting way uh, to, to start wrapping up the week. That's correct. And I'm on vacation uh, <laughs> next week for the first time in a long time. So that's okay. I'm not, not going to let me get down. There you go. Yeah. Stressful time of the year for a lot of people, but hey, we, we got the extension, right? So so if folks were a little bit behind on this filing season, you got you got some extra couple weeks to make that happen. Uh, I am one of those folks, so I will be taking advantage of the extension. I was waiting for a couple things to uh, be clarified before I filed my taxes. Happy to be in that spot. But Brian, this this is not a tax show. This, no. this is a tech stock show uh, at core, and that's what we are going to be talking about today. Uh, folks that listen to the show regularly know we love getting deep, deep into a prospectus when a company uh, first files and we really get our first look at a business. You know, a lot of people like doing that. But I think the the true work and, and really where things get interesting is once the rubber meets the road and that company is a publicly traded company, we start seeing the quarters of results come in after that IPO. And we're going to be checking in on the results from a couple of businesses that we've talked about recently and see how the picture's coming together for them. We've been spoiled over the last basically year and a half with S1 after S1. And as you just said, Dylan, uh, when a company comes out with their S1, they're picking the time that they come public. They're showing you the great results. They're getting excited. But when you actually come public and you report your first quarter results, that's when the culture can change at the company and you really see, is this business for real? So it totally makes sense to go back, look behind and say, how are these businesses doing? Yep. And that's precisely what we'll be doing today. We're going to be talking about C3 AI, talk about Snowflake, and we're also going to be talking about Zoom Info, which I'm going to clarify it right now, not that Zoom, right? <laughs> it is not Zoom Video Communications. Uh, it is Zoom Info. We will get specifically into what the company does. But first, let's, let's talk a little bit about C3 AI. Sure. The ticker symbol here is AI. Gotta love that. Uh, this is a company we profiled last November. Uh, it was an S1 that came out. And this is a software as a service company that is focused on, wait for it, AI. Uh, <laughs> nice and obvious, Dylan. Uh, what they are specifically trying to do is bring enter enterprise-grade applications to companies in as easy as a possible of a format as possible. So they have studies out there that say using their eye saves uh, companies time uh, from, from, from deployment. They offer a lot of solutions that can be used with either no code or a low code. Basically, they want to be the easy on-ramp for an enterprise getting started with AI. Yeah, and, and there is no shortage of companies that are interested in this space. It actually sounds a little bit similar to uh, another another company that we talked about recently, uh, UiPath, in what they are trying to do with kind of giving everybody a robot, uh, so to speak. You know, AI is, is kind of a way to think about that in a sense. Um, and so there's a lot of companies investing in this space. Definitely one of those businesses, you know, because Brian, you and I are only so sophisticated in the technical elements of tech, we kind of need to see the results come in and see what the market reaction is a little bit to get a better sense of how good this company is in the industry and really where they stand because there's a lot of investment dollars going here. 
Absolutely. And this market is expected to be enormous. So there definitely will not be one winner. But to your point, yes, if we're not using these products, it's really hard to tell who is the leader. So that's where the results come in. One shorthand we did note that really put this company on uh, my radar uh, was the CEO and founder here, a guy named Thomas Siebel, who's a legend uh, in Silicon Valley. He founded a company called Siebel Systems a few decades ago, sold it to Oracle in 2006 for $5.8 billion. So having his name on this company is a huge plus. So we talked about the IPO or the prospectus, I should say, in mid-November. Uh, company actually came public in early December. Um, and, and that was a hot time for a lot of companies to come public, still is, as, as we're seeing with the market in general. Um, but not surprisingly, they very quickly uh, saw a lot, of, a lot of excitement on the market. This is a company that came public or priced, I guess we should say, at 42. However, the very lowest price that you could have paid on day one to get this company's stock was about 92 bucks. It was one of those stocks that, that jumped more than doubled uh, on the first day. That means this company left a lot of money on the table. They were still able to raise about $610 million in total. And this stock has been all over the map. Uh, again, they priced at 42. It was as high as 183. It's since come back down to earth and given up a lot of those gains currently sitting in the mid 60s or so so you if you if you were a buyer of this stock anything after the IPO you're currently at, uh, sitting at a loss and that's one story and I, and I think that one that, that a lot of people will just kind of very quickly looking at a company say right in the in the aftermath of an IPO is oh you know it's it's down below where investors were first able to get in it's a broken IPO um, well ultimately we know it's it's all about the financial results and what winds up happening there there are a lot of reasons why uh, companies can be above or below where they initially price particularly in that first 3 to 6 month window because there's there's so much wacky stuff that's happening with price discovery with the number of shares outstanding and available for buyers the supply and demand dynamics there there's just a lot so we ultimately have to look at the quarterly results Exactly. And that's why we consistently say we're probably not going to be a day one buyer, but we're going to put a company on our radar. We're going to watch it and see how it does. This is a company that shows why that can be a great uh, strategy. Uh, but to your point, uh, the company did report its first uh, first earnings report since coming uh, public. Uh, revenue growth was 19% to $49 million. Uh, Wall Street was only expecting $47 million, so they beat on the top line. If you dig into that a little bit, this company makes money in two separate ways. The first is through subscription revenue, which is high margin and investors should care about that. That actually grew 23% to $43 million. The company also has professional services revenue, uh, which is like consulting revenue to get set up. Uh, that margin, that revenue really shouldn't care about at all. And that actually declined uh, 5%. So if you want to look at just the subscription revenue, which I think you should, the growth there was 23%. That shift towards subscription revenue helped to boost the, the gross margin of the company. It came in at 75%. Uh, that's a pretty good number. And the quarterly net loss was about $12 million or 13 cents per share. That was also better than the 16 cent net loss that Wall Street was expecting. So on the first earnings report, based on the headline numbers, pretty good. Yeah, I think one of the hard things about this company for folks is, you know, we, we keyed it up right away, right? This is, this is a SaaS company. And with that, you're expecting that certain figure to be there, and it's just not there. And you want it so bad, that dollar-based net retention rate number. They called this out in the in the S1. They said right up front, do not expect us to report dollar bait net retention or dollar bait uh, or, or net revenue retention uh, because they said that the contracts that they are signing and they're going after enterprise 
enterprise-grade customers, and the contracts uh, can be lumpy. Uh, we may have seen that with the recent quarterly results. Uh, last last year, in 2020, this company was reporting revenue growth in the 70s. So again, this company's uh, uh, revenue growth last quarter was just 19%. That does kind of showcase how this company uh, can be, be lumpy. But yes, to your point, we did not get a DBNR at all. Yeah. And what's kind of crucial, and, and I think why this company is a really classic, I need to see results, is it's entirely possible that it's it's a very lumpy um, growth cycle for them, and, and sales are you know something that come in uh, in a little bit of fits and starts, um, and that obviously is going to affect the top line growth, and that's what a lot of us are going to be paying attention to. The only way to know that is to is to really see it over time and realize yes that that that's the story that I'm being sold because it is easy for management to cite something like that when there are a couple bad quarters in there. Um, as, as a reason for why they're not matching the growth that they were posting before they became public. Exactly. And I think the company did a good job of setting that expectation up front. Hey, don't expect the DBNR uh, from, from us. But uh, when you dig into the rest of the, co- the other company's uh, quarterly results, uh, there were encouraging signs in here. Uh, management really hammered home that they have expanded several of their partnerships that they have in place. Uh, as a reminder, they have partners with partnerships with companies like Microsoft, uh, Baker Hughes, uh, Adobe, Raytheon, uh, Infor, and uh, FIS. Uh, FIS is in the financial services industry. The company really thinks that these partnerships take not only take time to develop, but will really give it a leg up down the road with landing a new customers. And those are some big names uh, in each of their industries. The company also said that it recently rolled out an update version of its software that expects to be even better than what it has uh, today. And it did give guidance. So this is a company that is at least comfortable out there to say that we are going to be giving guidance. Uh, for the full year, the company is guiding for revenue to be $181 million. That's going to be up 15% uh, over the prior year. Again, that's going to be much, much slower than the 71% growth that it reported last year. My guess is that the company is sandbagging there a little bit and that it expects to do a little bit higher, but only time will tell on that one. Yeah, it's 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 hard to know. And you know, you, you mentioned that management had done a decent job of signposting this. The the problem that we run into sometimes is just because management says something in a conference call doesn't mean that people pay attention to it or or you know that it's really wrapped up in the market's expectations for a company. Um, if you see, you know, a high multiple stock all of a sudden see a major correction to its growth rates or a major movement in its growth rates down, um, people that are a little bit less familiar are going to start talking about it in a much more dire way because they haven't necessarily done the due diligence to understand exactly what management is telling investors. Exactly. And this company, again, came out of its perspectives and say, hey, we grew 71% in, in 2020. If you were an investor, how can you not think, well, okay, growth might slow a little bit next year, but is it going to grow to slow to 50%, 40%? I mean, this is a company that's saying, hey, expect 15% revenue growth uh, for the full year. So that's a big disconnect. Uh, given that and the wild numbers that we've seen out of this company, it makes sense to me that this stock is down considerably uh, since its, uh, since its um, uh, opening trading price. But again, this company priced at 41, which I think is a high number, but reasonable. What was unreasonable was the amount that it got bid up, likely because one, just the pure excitement uh, of uh, investing in IPOs at the time. And two, this is still the largest pure pure play AI company out there. So that is a category that investors want exposure to. It makes sense that many of them jumped in to this company right away. 
Yeah, it's it's a really attractive industry. There are a lot of tailwinds, and I, I think you know anyone in the tech space is having conversations internally about AI and machine learning right now. And if they're not, they're going to get left behind. You know, that's just the the reality of where we are. Um, you know, I, I think to some extent they'll. You know, this is a company that can maintain a relatively high multiple if we see signs that we're going to get back to some more compelling growth rates over time. Ultimately, that's going to happen because they start landing some new contracts um, and expanding spend. But I think a big part of why you're paying up for this business right now is you believe that those growth rates are going to reaccelerate over time. Yeah, you're definitely going to have to believe that. And even after the stock has declined pretty significantly from its high, it's still trading around 40 times sales. That's a very that's a high number that you generally want to see a growth rate, a revenue growth rate of at least say 30 or 40 percent for. Uh, so there might still be some disconnect there. But if the company comes out with a couple of big contract wins in 2021, it's possible that that growth rate could really accelerate. Yeah, the, the way that I'm looking at this one, Brian, is basically um, really compelling business model, right? We we know that that SaaS is so investable for so many reasons. Um, there are other players in the SaaS space, not necessarily the AI uh, specific niche of of SaaS, uh, that maybe just have an easier path forward or or easier numbers and an easier business model for me to wrap my head around and kind of forecast out. Um, you know, there. This is a little bit tougher. It's a little bit lumpier, and because of that, it's a little bit lower on my list. But it's not to say that it's it's not a company worth watching or, or you know possibly even owning. Yeah, fair enough. And the other nice thing is the 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 market for AI products is expected to just be enormous tens of billions or even over a hundred billion dollars uh, in time. Uh, this company has Thomas Siebel. Don't discount that. And two, it's a pure play. Uh, if it can be successful, uh, especially from today's $6 billion market cap, this company could be a good investment today. But from what I've seen, I think I'm, I'm going to take a wait and see approach with it from here. Yeah. You and I are both sticking on the watch list for this one. Um, and actually, we're, we're seeing kind of a similar story with the second company we're going to talk about, uh, at least with the share price movements uh, in its in its infancy as a publicly traded company. Uh, and that is Snowflake. And uh, you know, this is probably of the names we're talking about, Brian, the one that folks are most familiar with. Um, there was a lot of fanfare around this IPO. Warren Buffett hopped into this IPO. There were some very well-heeled investors um, in the mix on this one. And that's because you know it is probably one of the most impressive businesses we have seen a prospectus from uh, in terms of growth rate, in terms of retention rates. Um, there's a lot to like here. For the people that are unfamiliar with this business, or maybe have heard it but don't really know exactly what it does, you can think of it broadly as data management for the cloud. Um, this is something that really specializes in data access, providing uh, a platform for companies so that they have the ability to access their data anywhere, uh, and then use that in order to upload both structured and unstructured data, make it universally accessible inside the cloud. And, um, you know, we, we talk about the cloud a lot. And I think a lot of our listeners are like, you know, there are some titans in that space. You have Amazon, you have Azure, you have Google Cloud, Brian. Um, we have kind of thought about this business as a Roku in the cloud space because they work with all of these huge, huge players um, in a platform agnostic way, but they also to some extent compete with them. Yeah, and I really like that analogy there, calling this company the Roku of the cloud, because if you are a large organization and you just have massive amounts of data, you don't necessarily want to be tied 100% to Amazon or 100% to Azure or 100% to Google Cloud. By going with Snowflake, you get access to all of them and you can switch back and forth uh, easily. And as you said, it also handles both structured and unstructured data. I really see the appeal of that. 
Yeah, it it seems like from everyone that I talk to in the industry and, and you know full-time fools that I talk to that are a little bit more in the weeds on tech, this is this is where we're going. And this is you know, essentially must-have stuff for for businesses of a certain size. What you're really solving for here is issues with data silos, making data governance a little bit easier, and really creating an ecosystem where customers, partners, all of the folks who would normally be providing you data or accessing your data um, would, would be able to in a way that does not create barriers that get in the way of them doing that. Um, this is, as it sounds, a complicated space, but what they're trying to do is make things as easy as possible for people using the cloud for most of their data purposes. And what do we say with companies like this? Tech <laughs> sounds the great. Numbers. <laughs> Tech sounds great because prior to this company uh, come public, I remember looking at the S1 here and my jaw was kind of dropping with some of the the uh, the retention rates that we saw, the revenue growth rates that we saw. This company was posting triple digit revenue growth and uh, and uh, dollar based net retention of I think 160 percent plus. So those are ridiculously impressive numbers. Yeah, when we first did the Prospectus show, their most recent year-over-year quarterly growth rate was 121%. And in the two earnings reports they've released in the time since, uh, they've only posted, Brian, growth of 119% and 117%. So, you know, I could see how you might be a little disappointed in this business. They're not, they're not sticking to the numbers that they were giving us before they were public. You're saying they're slowing down. It sounds like pretty substantially too. I mean, geez, to post a hundred and nineteen percent and one hundred seventy percent revenue growth, how many companies would absolutely kill for that? That's the kind of thing you would expect out of a company that just started commercializing, not one that's been not doing the run right that this company is at. Yeah, and and they're starting to do it on a pretty sizable amount of revenue. Looking back over the trailing twelve months, we're looking at just under six hundred million in revenue. So that denominator is getting bigger and bigger, and they're still continuing to be able to put up some impressive rates. The uh, the other numbers that are I think crucial for tracking this business and really understanding um, where it's going are the remaining performance obligation stat. Uh, this is going to be referred to as RPO very often in conference calls and in write ups on the business. And this is basically the amount of contracted future revenue that has not yet been recognized. Uh, and this is deferred revenue and it's also non cancelable contracted amounts. There, there's some semantics and, and and some more niche elements of it, and I'll save our listeners that. But the idea is basically. This is a backlog that they're going to be able to work through and be able to recognize over the coming quarters and years. And for the most recent quarter, RPO was 1.3 billion, which was up 213% year over year. And in the quarter prior, it was 240%. So we're still seeing a massive backlog of revenue for them to recognize. Um, and Brian, the, the other key metric for them is a net revenue retention number. Not surprising for the space that we're talking about. Um, and this is, again, a look at the cohort of customers uh, and how their spend in year two compares to year one. We say it all the time. It bears repeating. Retention is the good one. It's net, and it includes the churn and the customers that stop spending. Uh, it was 168% as of January 31st, 2021. And I think that this is probably one of the most uh, important and guiding quotes for this business from a conference call. CFO Brian Scarpelli said recently, I do expect net retention rate this year to remain very high. It should be north of 160% throughout the year. That's what we're seeing right now. Brian, that's a pretty stunning stat. Let me just repeat that. 
177, 117% revenue growth. Uh, RPO was up 240% and the DBNR was 168% and expected to remain above that. Those are ridiculously impressive numbers. I understand why this company is trading at 100 times sales. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know that any other business uh, in history deserves that multiple. And, and it's, you know, you could make a very good argument that Snowflake doesn't. But I think if anyone comes close, it's Snowflake with those stats that they're putting up there. Um, it would be easy to hear all of that, Brian, and say, you know, this thing must be up and to the right. I, I can't imagine that, uh, you know, the market's penalizing those types of numbers, especially when revenue came in ahead of expectations for both quarters that we've seen so far. Not the case. Uh, shares priced at 120 when it debuted immediately doubled. So there was some cash certainly left on the table. Um, and they currently sit around $230 a share as of taping. And so well above where shares priced, but you and I both know that's not necessarily where uh, a lot of folks like you and me were actually able to get shares. Uh, and so there are probably a lot of people that wound up getting in relatively early that are either flat, down a little bit, or in the case of some folks who bought near the top recently, um, down as much as about 40%. Um, it, it can be tough to see that kind of stock performance when you see these types of financials, Brian, and try to reconcile the two. It just shows you how much growth was baked into the company uh, when it came public. And to your point, the stock was traded double its IPO price right out of the gate. And then it went as high as $390 per share. Again, this company IPO'd or raised capital at 120 and was trading at, at the time, geez, 100 times sales. And then they doubled to 200 times sales. So given that, uh, the market was expecting these numbers. I mean, that's the only way that you can say it. You might even say they were expecting even better uh, th than these numbers. So that's where the disconnect is coming from. Uh, however, if the company can continue to put up things like this, it wouldn't surprise me if the if the if uh, this stock started to go up again. Yeah, I think when you see a business that is growing its top line at a triple digit year over year clip, you kind of wonder how long that can sustain itself, right? Like the the denominator on that just keeps getting bigger and over time just by the the virtue of the numbers getting bigger, it gets really tough to do. But I think when you look at that RPO stat, Brian, and you look at that net revenue retention number, I think Snowflake has just about as good a chance as any company I've ever seen uh, to keep, you know, at maybe low triple digit, but certainly very, very high double digit growth for a very long time. For sure. And the tricky thing is, yes, uh, I'm very willing to pay a high a high multiple uh, for, for a company. However, I'm less willing to do so when a company is already enormous. And at today's valuation, this is a $67 billion company. So for this company to say 10x, and that's what you would probably want if you're looking at the growth numbers you're at, that would be an almost $700 billion company. Is that possible? Maybe. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet against it, but that's a big hurdle to get over. It is a big hurdle to come over. And, and I think what's, what's hard about the stock is, you know, it excites growth investors, but a lot of growth investors are also looking for multi-bagger potential. And it's already so big with its market cap. You know, I, I would not be surprised in the least if this is a multi-hundred billion dollar business at some point in the next, you know, we'll say five to seven years. That said, if you're looking for something that has, uh, you know, 10x potential, um, Snowflake might not necessarily be the stock for as good as it is on paper. So you're the one that did the research on this. What do you think after reviewing the, the recent quarter results? You know, um, I think that the, I, don't, I don't own any shares, but I think that this is something that I will probably take a small bite of. Um, and part of it, Brian, is even if it isn't a, a massive winner or even a market beating position. Right now, I, I put this up on the Mount Rushmore of really great tech companies that are worth following. And 
I kind of think it's just worth having in my portfolio for, for the sheer reason of I will learn a lot by following this business. I love that. I love that. One great way to speed up education and learning is to get some skin in the game, Dylan. So I guarantee you buy share through the stock, you're going to learn fast. <laughs> yeah, nothing works like incentives, right? Uh, you start to learn plenty uh, when there's some money behind something. And yeah, I, I like what I see. I'm, I'm not going to put a very large chunk of money behind it, but I think at some point in the next couple of months, I'll probably just have a small position um, in part to follow it, in part because these are, these are electric numbers. These are just numbers that we don't see very often. And uh, it, it will help quell some of the FOMO, I think, for me, if five years from now we're doing this show and uh, you know everything is snowflake all the time. <laughs> there you go. This is going to be the one that Dylan Lewis is not going to let get away. <laughs> Brian, what about you? Uh, I, I need to take a closer look at the, this company. Uh, one thing I do like about it that, um, that, that we pointed out was that this is a consumption-based model. Uh, so... We, Customers pay more when they consume it uh, more. That aligns this company's incentives with the, with its customers. It's not just a subscription-based model. And clearly, given the numbers that we've seen, given the RPO, given the Dabner, uh, customers really really like like this product. And we've also talked to several people on the tech uh, side here that also say this tech is really impressive. So uh, I agree with you here. This might be a company that enters my portfolio. I just need to do more work. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up the consumption model part because that's actually, we were talking before um, with C3AI about the importance of listening to management and understanding the story that they are trying to tell you and how you should be looking at this business. Um, if you see Snowflake CEO Frank Slootman on an interview, I almost guarantee you he's going to talk about the consumption side of their business and how ultimately consumption is the revenue driver. It's not sales. Uh, that's because that's how this business is set up it wins when its customers win by using it. And that just fundamentally is a little different than a lot of other companies out there. They're trying to kind of write that narrative so that analysts in the street have a better understanding of the business. Um, but I think they're still, <laughs> honestly, uh, they probably still have a little bit of a ways to go because it's a common misconception. Totally is. And that reminds me of a little company called Twilio. That one's done okay for investors. Yeah, small small business, multi-bagger. Uh, yeah, that's that's been a great one. And uh, Brian, I own that one. I don't know about you. Um, yes, I do. I'm I'm a proud shareholder, and you know it, it's a great proof point for the consumption model. You know, it it, it clearly works. Similar uh, idea. Yeah, it's not it uh, with Twilio. It's not a subscription fee you're paying. You're paying each time the APIs are used. So it's a consumption based model. Uh, the uh, the CEO there, Jeff Lawson, believes that that is going to be like SaaS 2.0. That the next generation of SaaS is it's not going to be subscription. It's going to be based on usage. Speaking of folks that are worth following, just just for the lessons alone, Jeff Lawson. Uh, we 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 aired one of the interviews a couple of weeks ago to to cover a time that I was going to be out of the office, um, and it was with Jeff Lawson on Motley Fool Live talking through uh, his recent book. Great episode, great interview. I didn't even do the interview. I just thought it was so great that I wanted to share it with people. Um, but but certainly another best in class business worth following if you're interested in the future of tech and where things are going. But Brian, we got we got one more stock we got to talk about. And uh, you did the homework on this one. This is the other other Zoom, Zoom Info, ticker ZI, not to be confused with Zoom Video Communications. That's a ridiculously important <laughs> clarification here. This is Zoom Info, ticker symbol ZI. And Zoom, I almost feel bad for this company because uh, we, we profiled them in September uh, of last year. They came, they came public in June of 2020. And 
I the first the first thing I thought about this company was this is this a knockoff? Are they just trying to play into all the excitement around Zoom video communications? Uh, this must be a, a throwaway business. Uh, boy, was I wrong about that because once we dug in, there is a lot to be impressed about uh, here. Uh, as a reminder, uh, we did a deep dive on this company on uh, Friday, September 11th. But this is a SaaS platform that helps professional salespeople to to reach decision makers in organizations. Specifically, this tool is designed to help people, uh, businesses that sell uh, business to business. When you're doing that, reaching the key decision maker in the organization is the challenge. Like that is where salespeople should be, talking to people that actually can make decisions. The problem is it's really hard to get through all the barriers that are in your way to access that that person. Uh, and uh, Zoom Info points out that salespeople spend the bulk of their time actually manually coming up with information, uh, not selling. They, the, a minority of their time is actually devoted to selling. Zoom Info helps them break through that. They have this huge uh, collection of uh, database that lets you access key decision makers. You can get like an org chart of the companies that you are targeting. And Zoom Info says that uh, guarantees that 95% of the information on its platform is accurate. That is something that companies are willing to pay for. Yeah. And Brian, one of the reasons I was so happy to do that show with you when we first kind of tore through the prospectus is in a former life, you were you were a salesperson. And so, you know, you had firsthand experience with the value of something like this. And um, unless you know the pain points, it can be hard to appreciate just how helpful and elegant software solution is for this kind of thing. Yes, I spent a huge amount of my time organizing information, uh, being stopped at, at doors, just trying to get to the person. And once you could get to the person and have a conversation with you, that's where the value add of a salesperson uh, is. Everything else is just getting in your way. If you had, if I had access to this kind of information and I could quickly access that person through a phone call or through an email or through a text message, boy, would that save me a lot of time. So Brian, of the companies that we talked about so far, I, I think Zoom Info is actually the best performer as a publicly traded company, uh, mostly because it's currently above where it opened on day one and where a lot of retail investors were actually able to first buy shares. Yeah, so this is another company that popped significantly on day one. So they priced at $21 and they raised a billion dollars in cash. Uh, that same day, they opened at 40. So this was another stock that was up 80, 90-ish uh, percent. Uh, the stock was uh, went up to a high in the 60s and the low in the 30s, but it was currently about $47. So even if you bought uh, as soon as you possibly could in the secondary market, you're actually up about 20% uh, on that investment. So yeah, that does make this company stand out from the other two. Yeah, and it's nice, you know. Like I know that a lot of people get excited about these, and they, and they hop in, and and that's certainly a place where a lot of newer investors, you know, first wind up getting introduced to the idea of investing, is they they hear about a hot new publicly traded company. Um, they have seen the stories of so many great tech businesses that have gone on to create, you know, massive wealth or multi bagger returns for people. Get excited and put some money into it. Um, it's it's nice when that actually works out for some people, uh, and they they feel good about those early investing decisions and lessons. Yeah, and now Zoom Info came public uh, several uh, months ago, or almost a year ago at this point. So we actually have three earnings reports to look at. And one thing that we kind of teased this company for uh, when we were doing the uh, when they were doing the deep dive on it was one of this company's taglines is 
hit the numbers, AKA you use Zoom, Zoom Info to hit your, to help your company hit its numbers. Well, wouldn't that be embarrassing if this company didn't hit its own numbers? Uh, luckily, the company has reported three times. It has hit its numbers in all three cases. Uh, in the most recent, uh, most recent quarter, revenue growth, revenue was uh, up 53% to $140 million. Uh, gross margin here is very strong at, uh, at 81%. This company is also highly profitable. I mean, really profitable. Its adjusted operating margin on a non-GAAP basis, I should point out, is 45%. And its adjusted EPS were 12 cents. That was above the 10 cents that uh, Wall Street was uh, was expecting. They're also producing copious amounts of free cash flow. $76 million in free cash flow in the fourth quarter. As a reminder, their revenue was 140 million, so that's a free cash flow margin of over uh, 50%. And they now have 850 customers that are going to spend $100,000 or more on this platform. Yeah, those are darn impressive stats, and uh, it's kind of a shame that this company, for as strong as they've been and the results that they've put up, um, have kind of been in the shadow of uh, the other Zoom. You know, because it, it does it, it creates a little bit of a mental barrier, I think, for some investors to really be like, okay, I'm going to take this company seriously. And that's fair enough. And I guess that's our opportunity then. Uh, and if you look at the actually the full year, so the full year of 2020, the company's numbers were extremely strong. Uh, revenue grew 62% uh, to $476 million, $244 million in free cash flow. Uh, unlike C3AI, this company does report DBNR. It was 108% uh, during the year. That's not like lights out, but that's a respectable or that's at least a positive uh, number showing that they're retaining customers and convincing them to uh, to uh, to spend more. Uh, one thing that we did note was this company was actually fairly uh, issued a lot of debt prior to to coming uh, public. It had over a billion dollars in debt at the time of the IPO. It has paid off over $500 million of its debt over the last year, in part with the proceeds that it used from uh, coming public. So its balance sheet looked okay at the end of the year, $300 million in cash, $745 million uh, in, in debt. But given the free cash flow number that we've seen here, that shouldn't uh, really concern you. One thing that it did note on the recent call was that it launched a new product called Zoom Info for Recruiters. This is essentially a tool that will help recruiters to use this platform to reach out to people uh, and target individuals at companies so that they can fill positions and, uh, and do their job better. I like that. That shows that this company is thinking outside the box and has some optionality in it. Yeah. And I think the test for me, Brian, anytime I see a company that is looking to either roll out a new product or enter a new market is... Does this make sense? Like with with the core competency and the competitive advantages that this business has, are they able to leverage that in a way that makes sense for them strategically and also means that they're going to be well suited for this new market? I, I think that a lot of the things that they offer with their core product are also super valuable to recruiters. I really think so too. Now, is that is th that's going to be facing off against you know companies like uh, LinkedIn, uh, for example? So they might have an uphill battle there. However, if you're already using Zoom Info's platform for sales and marketing efforts, it's not that big of a stretch to say that you can also use it for recruiting uh, efforts too. If that's successful, we could also see that DBNR number uh, go up uh, substantially. 
What, but the good news is we don't necessarily need that product to be successful for the company to continue to win. Uh, in fact, for tw- fiscal year 2021, management is predicting that revenue is going to be uh, about $650 million for the year. That's going to be up 37%. Uh, it's also going to estimated to do adjusted earnings of about $0.48 cents per share. So the company basically says all systems go for 2021. Yeah, one of the things I want to unpack a little bit, Brian, is is the growth rates in the DBNR um, because because we have it and we have the benefit of being able to look at it. So that 108 percent, right, is all other things being equal, no new customers coming in. You can expect something uh, around eight percent growth, right? Um, what that means is that a lot of the top line growth that we have seen recently and, and probably will see based on what they're guiding for is coming from, uh, for the most part, customer acquisition. That's right. They are attracting new customers to the platform. Uh, and DBNR is a, is a great metric for, for looking at. It also can be a little bit uh, deceiving sometimes. For example, if a company is having success and on day one, it lands a customer and that customer spends $100,000, well, that's great news, isn't it? But they're already starting at a really high level. Uh, however, the DBNR might shrink, might, might fall over time because you're not ranching up that much because they're starting at such a higher base. So that can be something to think about with DBNR. But the point for this, to me in this company is it's clearly having success signing on new customers, keeping those around and convincing uh, its existing customers to spend more. That's why this company's revenue is growth is so strong. Brian, on a recent episode, um, we had someone watching on Fool Live, which is our, our member live stream where we tape a lot of these podcasts, uh, ask us, you know, you, you guys like doing bets every now and then. And they referenced the DocuSign Upwork bet that we had a while ago. Uh, and I think that today's show is is a good opportunity for us to throw another bet out there. We have We have three different stocks. I think there are really encouraging elements of all three of these businesses. Also, I would say one of them is probably quite a bit different than the others uh, <laughs> with Snowflake, but they are also three somewhat differently sized businesses. Uh, I believe Zoom Info is up in the high teens for market cap. Uh, we're somewhere in the mid cap single digit range um, when we're talking about C3 AI, and then Snowflake is about 65 billion. Um, looking at these three, what what is your one to buy if you are looking to maximize returns. We'll look at it that way. Which which one do you think has the, the most interesting upside? On a pure upside uh, basis, I would say C3AI. Uh, the reason there would be its market cap is $7 billion and the potential of AI is just massive. I wouldn't buy it today based on its current growth rate. I want to see that this company is out there for a couple of quarters and really comes up with some spectacular growth uh, in the future to prove that it can be a high growth company because it's really hard for me to get excited about paying 40 times sales for a company that's growing its top line uh, in in the mid teens. So that's the one with the, the highest upside potential though, if they can make that work. But if you want to take a bet, as long as I get to pick Zoom Info, I'm happy to go up against whatever one you want to throw out there. <laughs> No, I mean, I, I think you're right. Like, I, I think um, Snowflake has the benefit of, I think, winning the the snap test hand down, hands down, right? Of these three businesses, I think Snowflake is probably the most important to the most players in the tech industry. And my hunch is the range of outcomes for a company like Snowflake are a little bit narrower than maybe for Zoom Invo, Info and for C3AI. I imagine it's a much bigger company in three, five, 10 years, um, but because it's already so large, the return potential might be uh, a little bit capped compared to some of the others. Um, so if that's your bent, that's my, that's my pick. But if you're looking for adjust, like risk-adjusted upside, I think Zoom Info is probably the play. I think you're right. What's the time frame we're talking about here? A year? <laughs> Three years? Five years? We, 
we're fools, man. We, we got to be long-term with this. I, I think we're looking at at least five. Okay, and we can check in yearly to see who, who's winning, right? So we'll have to do a, a remind me of uh, uh, in, in a year to do that. But yeah, so just to be clear, I'm taking Zoom Info, you're taking Snowflake, correct? I am taking, yeah, yeah, I'll take Snowflake on that. Um, in part because I said I was going to buy it. So I, I, <laughs> I feel like I should be happy about the, the uh, stocks that I own in my future portfolio. Obviously not going to be acting on that anytime soon. But, um, and, and what I think... You know, we, it sounds like we're dismissing C3 AI a little bit, but I don't think we are. I think, I think we like the business. We just want to see, um, we want to see some results that back up what we're hearing from management in general about the, the way that business is going to be coming in. Yep. I, I wouldn't bet against any of these businesses. In fact, I think there's reasons to be interested in all three of them uh, today. It's just that when given this choice here, I think that I would rank them number one, Zoom Info, number two, Snowflake, number three, C3 AI. That's not about potential. That's just purely about what I've seen so far. Yep. And hey, we, we get to disagree sometimes. That's the, that's the beauty of doing what we do, being Motley and uh, being able to get ideas from our friends and the community of fools. You know what? I think the last time we did this, it was Upwork versus DocuSign. And at that time, <laughs> I won that bet, even though you own shares of Upwork. And I think if we did that bet today, you might have won. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's a, it totally depends on how you're measuring returns for those two stocks because Upwork was uh Upwork was a dog for a long time. It was, you know, just a just a company that uh was having a hard time despite what seemed like a lot of really good tailwinds pushing it forward. And um DocuSign has proven to be the better stock to own at least from, you know, the infancy of that bet. Uh Upwork has turned it around and become a market beater, though, you know, we we severely discounted Fiverr in that market when we did the uh the show on the freelance market and just what contractors turn to. So, the beauty of it though, Brian, you own them both, you get to benefit from the great ideas even if they weren't yours, which is uh which is part of the fun of what we do, right? Totally. Totally. But I like this. So I'm going with Zoom Info. You're going with Snowflake. We'll check back in in a year. Perfect. Brian, thank you so much for joining me on today's show. Thank you, Don. Listeners, that's going to do it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, hey, shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com or tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for all his work behind the glass today, and thank you for listening. Until next time, Fool on! Fool on!